you made it. You're in the right spot. It's Bills by the Numbers, presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more. The dichotomy of quarterback play has been downright head-scratching. What's the deal? We chop it up. Did the Bills run game discover something in Kansas City last week? And we provide you with our closing figures. Somebody blow the whistle! Happy to have you as always here on Bills by the Numbers, where we let the stats tell you where the Bills are at. Bills Wall of Famer Steve Tasker over there waving, and Bills insider Chris Brown with you. In a week where the old guard faces the new in a head-to-head matchup in Buffalo on Sunday night with Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen, we're reminded of a season of quarterback play that in many ways has defied logic. Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady sit behind quarterbacks like Jimmy Garoppolo and Geno Smith as middle-of-the-pack signal callers, mobile quarterbacks like Kyler Murray and Trevor Lawrence also struggling, despite having plenty of weapons to work with. Even Justin Herbert and Lamar Jackson aren't performing at a level near their typical production. What in the world is going on around here, Steve? Uh, It's interesting. I think I don't know that there's one simple explanation, but I think at the very core of it, I think it's a signal as to how high a level the league is playing at right now these teams especially defensively you have to be so sharp because of the flexibility and the you know and the the, just the the way offenses are run in the NFL they're just so flexible Mm. uh, and pliable and they can get matchups that they want I think you have to be so sharp defensively that these teams are playing at a high level and I know this too to win in the NFL, you got to be hitting on all cylinders almost every week. And it's hard for some teams when you lose an offensive lineman here, a couple of offensive linemen there, or if you have to switch quarterbacks, or if some of the pieces aren't fit, the teams are built around their quarterbacks. Yeah. And if those quarterbacks aren't playing the right way, or if they're in a new situation, I mean, you get these guys like Matt Ryan, Russell Wilson, Carson Wentz, these quarterbacks who've been proven to play well in new systems and new environments, it's not quite right for them. Yeah. And I think in the early going, I think you're seeing some signs that I, I don't think there's a general description or a general rule that here's why all the quarterbacks are playing up and down and the league's on its end. But I know this, if your quarterback can't run, you're limited. Yeah. I think the biggest difference for me is we're used to seeing a lot of these players perform in spite of the deficiencies that might exist on their rosters, whether it's a bad defense or an injured left tackle or an influx of inexperienced youth. But what we've witnessed this season involves so many variables. The only way that I'm able to put it under one umbrella is I think NFL teams have become so quarterback dependent Mm. and we understand why I mean that some teams have foolishly laid I think now either too much of the functionality of their offense at the feet of their quarterback or too much of the winning formula for their team at the feet of their quarterback and I think it's simply too much to bear for some of these guys they just they can't shoulder it all they just can't you're right and I'll say another thing as well when you start shouldering putting it on your quarterback, that means when he gets up to the line, he's got a lot he's responsible for. The problem is this. There's 10 other guys out there. They got to be so in tune with what that quarterback's doing. 
You got guys like like Aaron Rodgers in Green He's Bay. He's a perfect example those of this, guys, right? Those young guys, Aaron Rodgers is up there at a PhD level calling these things out, getting stuff, and he expects them to kind of be on the same page with him, and they're they're back in kindergarten. Yeah, he's got you know? he's got three receivers right. who are in third grade. They're not there yet. They don't know what they're looking at, and a quarterback is limited by the guys around him, not just physically where they can't, can't you know, the left tackle, if he can block the defensive end, that's awesome. But if he steps back and he can block anybody you want, he blocks the wrong guy or he misses a call or or he doesn't know the protection or, you know, that's a that's an extreme example. Your left tackle is going to know that stuff. But a young receiver, same thing, running the wrong route, the wrong read. He sees a defense and thinks it's this. It's not that. It's this. The quarterback sees it. The receiver doesn't. When you put so much on your quarterbacks, by proxy, he's got to make sure that the other 10 guys on the field are exactly in the same spot. And that's hard to do when yeah. you got a play clock ticking okay. down. So that explains the Tom Brady situation. He lost two starting offensive linemen right. before the season even started. Had Rogers. some receivers out of the lineup injured. And as we mentioned, Aaron Rodgers dealing with a lot of youth at wide receiver after they turned that thing over to save some money and pay him $50 million a year. How do we explain the situations of Russell Wilson, Carson Wentz, and Matt Ryan. Because Matt Ryan has an all-world running back in Jonathan Taylor. Granted, he was hurt for a little bit with a toe injury. And they have players on defense that can make plays. I mean, you're talking Stephon Gilmore, Darius Leonard. I mean, you got guys on that side Mm -hmm. of the ball that can play. Washington has receivers that are quality guys. Uh, I mean, Washington is a little wacky for a bunch of reasons. But, you know, they've got four first-round picks as defensive linemen. And then in Denver, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, K.J. Hamler, uh, two running backs, Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams, who I know is now out for the season. What the heck is going on in those three situations? New quarterback in a new system and a first-time head coach has, I think, a lot to do with it. Who's In Denver, who's okay. In Denver. That's what's going on. In Indianapolis, when you know you get the running back goes down – Matt Ryan, I told you when I said this earlier, Matt Ryan can't run. Not that he won't run, doesn't like to, okay. that he's good from the, he's okay from the pocket. He, he is not mobile. And defenses know that. And defenses now are built for two. They used to be run and stop the run. Forget that. Throw that in the garbage. The NFL is about getting after the passer, getting interceptions, and forcing fumbles. You're not even allowed to tackle like the, in the old days. People are saying, oh, they don't, they don't practice tackling. Yeah, they don't. They're not allowed to tackle like they did when yeah. I played. You're not even allowed to hit guys like that anymore. So they, it's a different world now. So you get these quarterbacks are playing against a defense that has completely shifted the paradigm of what it is to play professional football. They are punching the ball out, and they're getting after the quarterback, and they're jumping routes because the ball's got to come out fast. If the ball doesn't come out fast, Matt Ryan is down. Same thing with Carson Wentz. He's an okay. He's not a runner. He used to be able to run. I don't know why he doesn't anymore. Probably an ACL injury had something to do with it. Maybe. Um, but that's it, too. And if your quarterback cannot run, I mean run like with the ball tucked under his arm, making moves on guys and getting first downs, you're done. Yeah. Because sooner or later, they're going to find a way to get your quarterback on the ground or they're going to jump the routes because they know you got to throw the football on time, and the DBs have a clock in their head. The ball's got to come out now, and if my guy's here, I can go there and I can get pick this ball up. Turnovers and getting after the quarterback are what defenses are all about, and if your quarterback can't get away from that, 
sooner or later you're going to go down. Yeah, I'm just – I look at the Packers situation and I say they, they felt we have a two-time back-to-back MVP. We've just paid him $50 million. He'll be able to fix anything. He can make anything work. Yeah. He's like Handy Manny. We got a leaky <clears throat> pipe here. He can take care of that. You know, we got this over here. We're going to play youth at receiver. He was, yeah. He'll just make it he look good. The, we don't have to. They almost over. I mean, it might be hard to do this, but it's like they overestimated what he could cover I up. I get it. I get it. What he could cover up. Three seasons of 13 wins 13 and 3, 13 and 3, 13 and 4, yeah. and back to back MVP seasons. That's a pretty good stretch. They didn't win at all, but they're, they're where they want to be. Right. So they figure. Let's let's try the economics of this. Let's pay the guy that's getting it done and let the other guy go and use some draft, all that stuff, and it's not working. Yeah. It's not working. And I think this is the first time, really, too, that Matt LaFleur, head coach of the Packers, has been challenged in that way. Yeah. They've I, got some problems they need to walk through as a staff and an organization. Forget about Aaron Rodgers. And to your point about Matt Ryan, he was brought in to be the complementary piece to what was going to be largely a running offense with Jonathan Taylor and just make enough plays as a veteran quarterback to kind of keep defenses honest, you know, move the sticks on a big you, third down play yeah. or make a throw in the red zone. I'll give you an example. You know a team that really got it right this last offseason? We would never have said this going into the season. Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. They traded away an expensive veteran quarterback who had taken him to two Super Bowls and won one with a big contract, and he signed an extension in Denver, got some draft capital back, but they had a guy in their building, in Geno Smith, who here in the AFC East, we knew him very well. We didn't think he could play, but he's been sitting there watching Aaron, uh, watching Russ Wilson cook for six years. The Seahawks knew what they had in Geno. They could build the roster during this last offseason for Geno and Drew Locke or whoever it was going to be. Well, it's not like they were devoid of weapons. That's I mean, right. DK Metcalf That's and Tyler right. Lockett, you could do a lot worse than those two. They had a roster they knew they could refurbish on the fly and put Geno in, and he would be okay in that system because he knew it. They yep. could go on. They'd have a quarterback who was comfortable in the system, knew it, and was going forward. They did it right, and the Seahawks are reaping the benefits of it at this well, and they midway drafted point two of the really season. good corners who are playing very well for them right now, and the running back, Kenneth Walker, is a revelation. I mean, he's really, really good, and they're off and running, and they're in the race in the NFC West because of it. But to your mobile quarterback theory, I'm intrigued by that because, yes, they can cover up more. In an era where we're seeing teams more and more and more quarterback dependent for the quarterback to fix everything or to cover up a deficiency here or there, the mobile quarterback covers up more because he can Absolutely. extend the play when it doesn't work. If somebody misses a, a, a block in a protection, he can get away from trouble and maybe make something happen or prevent a catastrophic negative right. play. So my question to you now going forward with under the guise of that theory, Steve, while we fully realize there are always going to be exceptions, are we getting to a point in this league where pocket quarterbacks may be little more than backup options on the depth chart and all NFL clubs consider in the starting role is a passer who can extend plays with his legs, execute design runs, and cover up deficiencies on an inconsistent offensive line. It might be too absolute, but are we going it's a that way? Absolute, because if you've got a guy that can win from the pocket, you're going to build around that. And this, and let's face it, as, as many good quarterbacks as we have in the league right now, they're still hard to find. So they're gonna teams are gonna learn to build around a guy who can't run. They'll learn or do their best. But let's and I, I was gonna make this point as well. 
it's always been this in the NFL, even when I played for the last couple of decades, three decades. Games are won and lost, and you go back and look at them. Now, you can't tell in the future what's going to happen, but in the past, as you finish a game, there's always like three to five plays that make a difference. A running quarterback makes sure those three to five plays go in your favor. You always get those plays. He he gets a, a third and eight. Man-to-man coverage, they run off, he gets it out of their own end, extends the drive, or he rolls out and throws on the run. Those less than a handful of plays are what makes a difference, and it comes down to your quarterback's ability. I just, I just think we're going that way. Absolutely. Because you look at the lower levels of football, high school football, college football, the best athlete on the team is playing quarterback. and Hasn't you, always been that way. No. It used to be running back. That's right. You just stand in there and throw the ball. You know, we'll let this guy run around. You hand it to this yeah. guy, yeah. And and I think it's shifting. And and the biggest proponents to support doing more of that is a guy right here in Buffalo. Josh yeah. Allen's the best athlete on the roster here. Yeah. And he is killing it. Lamar, Lamar Jackson. Jackson. Lamar Jackson. Uh, Kyler Murray. Uh, Pat Mahomes, who is is really brilliant at his ability to evade, throw off balance, off platform, just get it out and be accurate with it. That that's a rare trait. All of these guys that are like that give their team an extra chance. Yeah. And as I said, there are no absolutes in professional football, but there are trends. And this is one yeah. that I think is going to continue to be a trend to hang your hat on. It's all I think it's only going to get more and more popular. You're going to have GMs and college scouting directors mining for the best athletic quarterback they can find who has elite physical traits that they can build, develop, and groom into basically Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson clones. That's what right. I think they're going to be looking for for the next decade here. Because yeah. And some teams, may, it may go the way that they get two of those guys. That They have, may have a stable of quarterbacks who can run and throw yeah. and put packages in for both of them. Shifting gears to the Bills specifically, in their last game before the bye, the Bills' run game saw some of its most consistent production this season through the first half of their Week 6 game at Kansas City. Buffalo averaged almost six yards a carry, with Devin Singletary averaging more than 7.5 himself. The Bills had 101 rushing yards at halftime. We know that Buffalo is a passing team, but we saw how lethal Buffalo's offense was going into the playoffs last year when their run game got on track to complement their passing attack. So was their Week 6 performance a one-off, or was it a sign of things to come? I think for now you got to think of it as a one-off. Uh, it was a strategy that the Chiefs did. They, they put the two deep yeah, back they were, there. They were kind of begging them to they run, were, right? They were, yeah, they were hoping the Bills would run. They didn't, the Chiefs had full confidence that they could score 30 points on the Bills' defense if they could get the ball enough. And the simple fact of the matter is neither team, you know, was giving it up. And the Bills were perfectly content to run the football in the first half, 100 yards rushing, get some first downs, and they, they go into halftime tied, 10-10. Nobody could score because they didn't get the ball enough. Yeah, I think, it, it, I think it's a one-off for now because – I get the strategy of it, shorten the game. Instead of having eight or ten or twelve possessions apiece, you have 
five to seven possessions, you know, or seven to nine possessions. Which then demands you be supremely efficient. Yeah, you got to get some points out of it. But at least the other team is not scoring 52, yeah. right? So I think it's – you may see teams go light in the box against the Buffalo Bills hoping they hand it off to Devin Singletary because Devin Singletary is not a home run. Mm-hmm. You can catch him and tackle him. You may give up a long, a good run, but you won't give up a touchdown run from their end. So it may be a trend, but this is the first we've seen of it this year. And I think there's a little bit of that last year, and that's why the running game finished so strong last yeah. year. I, the reason it's important, and we've discussed this before, the offense just needs something to turn to when when the passing game isn't you know, operating on all cylinders. And as Ken Dorsey said this past week, he wants to possess the ability to attack defenses in different ways. Some weeks, some team may have answers for Buffalo's passing game. Maybe they have two top-flight cover corners, and they can shut down Diggs and Davis and not allow them to get consistent separation, and you got to turn to something else. So in a given week, having something else to turn to with confidence is important, especially when you reach the postseason where it's win or go home. So as potent an offense as Buffalo is – Wanting to improve the effectiveness of their run game, I think, is a worthy goal and something that I think we're going to see them continue to work at so they never feel they're ever playing left-handed, even if they have to go to the running game for two or three series, you know, in a quarter of a football game when the passing game just isn't in sync in a given week. And plus, it it gives them a chance when their passing game isn't clicking to get into third and threes instead of third and nines and third and elevens and third and thirteens. So it gives you a chance. Um, and I think it also does when Josh can hand the ball off to Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, uh, you know, James Cook, you're not calling the quarterback's number to run it. Yeah. I think they would love to have a running game that didn't involve Josh Allen as the lead dog. And you mentioned home run threat. We can come right back to the James Cook conversation again. If he's getting a few more reps when a team is begging them to run, maybe you do get a couple of those home run plays in right. the run game, and suddenly you're more explosive in that area of your offense as well. Time to turn to the numbers game where we quiz Steve on a statistical category, and we're going to see if Steve can guess which NFL quarterbacks through Week 7 sit in the top five in rushing yards for quarterbacks. Now, I am confident Steve's going to do well here, so we have a couple of bonus categories after this. But, Steve, let it rip. Top five quarterbacks Mm. in rushing yards through Week 7. Lamar Jackson. That is correct. Leading the league at 510 rushing yards. 510. Yeah. Josh? Josh is number six. Oh. So you're correct. 257 yards. Oh, I thought I'd get the top five. You do. So he's just out of the top five. So I'll I guess say, that's an uh, incorrect answer. Jalen Hurts. Uh, Jalen Hurts is number four. 293 yards. Correct. I will say Justin Fields. Justin Fields, number two. 364 yards. Got two left, Steve. So your one miss is Josh Allen, who's number six. Mm-hmm. Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray, number five, just in. Ooh, just inside, okay. Now here's the one that I I wasn't sure if you would get it. Give me a give me a give me a clue. Give me a clue. Come on. NFC conference. Alright. Gino. It is not Gino. He is he is number eight right now. Let me see if I, I need a list of teams so I don't skip anybody. 
Oh. Daniel Jones. Danny Dimes, number three. Daniel Jones. <laughs> 343 uh, uh, rushing yards. How about I that? I love it. And I'll say what. You know, we've got some affection for Brian Dayball That's here. right. And him doing what he's doing with the Giants, particularly this thing with Daniel Jones, it's, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. He's a quarterback whisperer. All right. Yeah. I, I have a bonus category for you. All right. Top five quarterbacks in yards per carry average. <laughs> yards per carry average. Who's had the big runs this year so far? Josh. Josh is number four, 5.47 a carry. Lamar. Lamar leads the league, 7.73 per carry. I, uh, let's say... Uh, Let's say Daniel Jones. He's number two, 5.91 per carry. He's had a couple long ones. Had a long one last week on a naked boot. Yeah, he also fell down again. Um, Did he really? Yeah, in that game. You're kidding. No. And he was in for another touchdown and he fell? No, he wasn't. Oh, okay. At least he wasn't. Yeah. Poor guy. (laughs) Uh, Somebody's got to get him some new shoes. What's going on? Yards per carry. How about? No, he wouldn't be there because he's, well, per carry, though, it doesn't matter how much they've run, right? No, it does not. I'll say Ryan Tannehill. It's not Tannehill. You got two guys left, and they were on the first list, if that helps. Oh, okay. Did I say Josh yet? You did, He and and he is on Lamar, this list at number four. Jamal, you got Lamar and Daniel Justin Jones. Fields. Fields is fifth, and Kyler Murray is third. Yeah. Last category... Top, and you're going to like this one, top five quarterbacks in third down rushing conversion percentage. Oh. Guys that run on third down and get it for you. Josh. Josh is number one, 80%. I knew that. Josh. 80% conversion it's, it's, when he runs the ball on third down. He's an animal. Justin Fields. Justin Fields is number two. Oh, if you could do this in order, Steve, oh, I'm going to be it? really how impressed. About okay. uh, I'll buy a burrito if you can I'll get say, this in order. I'd, I want to say Kyler, but I don't, I'll say Kyler. Kyler is fifth. Okay. 57.1%. So I, I will say Mahomes. Mahomes not even on the list. Really? Yeah. He doesn't run on third. No. Okay. He doesn't run as much as you think. Yeah. He's he's an extender, not a runner. He's an extender, yeah, yeah behind the line of scrimmage, though. Oh, did I say Lamar already? Yeah. No. Lamar, and- Lamar is fourth. Okay. 57.9%. This is the wild card, and it's not Danny Dimes. I, I don't think you're going to get this. I'll give you one guess. Number three in the league in top five quarterbacks in third down rushing conversion percentage. You get this, I'll be impressed. Geno Smith. It is not Geno Smith. Marcus Mariota. Who? Yeah. <laughs> 63.6% conversion percentage when he runs on third down. But Josh Allen is an absolute animal. He is more than 10% ahead of everybody else when he runs that thing on third down to move the sticks. Good work there, Steve, yeah. in the numbers game. We move along to gain a bit more perspective on what has happened to the inconsistency with quarterback play this season and where it is headed for the second half of the year from an overall skill set standpoint. To do that, we ask NBC Sports fantasy football expert Matthew Berry for some help. All right, Matthew, we want to start here because we're trying to figure out just what the heck is going on 
with quarterback play around the league. You've got stalwarts like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, who might be the surest thing at the quarterback position in the last 10 years, performing well below their typical numbers. You even have guys like Lamar Jackson and Justin Herbert below what they typically produce on a week-to-week basis. And then you've got other people that change teams whose games have gone completely in the toilet, like Matt Ryan, Russell Wilson, maybe Carson Wentz is an exception. He was kind of struggling even at times last year. Can you pin down what the heck is going on here through the first seven weeks? Feels like defenses, you know, for so long, uh, this was an offensive league and you breathed on a guy and it was 15 yards for offensive pass interference. It feels like there's been more of a correction. Honestly, and defenses have gotten smarter. They're playing better as well. I, I think, you know, each case there's a, you know, if we went through one by one, each one of those players, I could point to something specific with each one of those players uh, as to why I think they specifically are struggling. But overall, I think defenses are playing better. And candidly, I don't think the, the quarterback play has been as consistent as it has been in years past, just sort of on an overall basis. We see a lot of quarterbacks, and we've been having that conversation throughout the last couple of weeks about how mobile quarterbacks are being so much more effective than they've ever been in the past, maybe due to a willingness of coaching staffs to allow them to do it or to call plays where it's required. Uh, It has been almost ground in stone, carved in stone, that a quarterback has to win from the pocket in the NFL. How true is that today? Well, it's not true at all. I mean, obviously, look, I mean, uh, I'm, ta- I'm on a Bills show, right? You know, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you know, like the, the idea of just a, you know, a, a statuesque Josh Allen is foreign, right? Is that, and that's, you know, for the, for the longest time, uh, you know, that was, that was Josh Allen's game was just running around and making crazy plays. And then, you know, you, you add Stefan Diggs, you add Gabriel Davis, and you give him some pass catchers, he matures as a thrower becomes a lot more accurate. Um, if you look at his numbers over the years since he caught in the league, his, his accuracy has improved as well. And, you know, obviously it helps to have a cannon for an arm. Um, so, but that, back to your original question about mobility, I just think, right, that's sort of how the game has evolved. And so you look at not just, I obviously look at, I look at things through a fantasy lens, but just from an NFL perspective, like there's still going to be some classic drop back in the, in the pocket passers, the Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady's of the world, but for the most part, the elite quarterbacks, not only in fantasy, but in real life, yeah, Lamar Jackson, I mean, Joe Burrow, uh, more mobile than I think he probably gets credit for. Justin Herbert struggled somewhat this year, but he's more mobile. Mahomes, you know, obviously he has uh, nice mobility. Lamar Jackson, we're only a couple years removed from his MVP season. Jalen Hurts, the quarterback of the only undefeated team in the NFL, he's very mobile. So I just think the, the speed of today's game uh, on the defensive side means that you need to have as many weapons as possible on the offensive side. And when you have a quarterback that can move the chains, not only with his arm, but also with his legs, I think that becomes a, a huge differentiation for, uh, for teams that have guys like that. So knowing how thin the margins are and how close games are typically week to week, I think we're on a record-setting pace right now in terms of one-score games through the first seven weeks. I know there's no absolutes in the NFL, Matthew, but the, the demand for a mobile quarterback as we move forward into future years here, are we, are we talking about po- pocket quarterbacks being dinosaurs? I mean, is this a trend? Is this an absolute? 
I, it's certainly a trend already with mobile quarterbacks in this league. I just see teams going to go and come hell or high water looking for one themselves, and it's not like there aren't any coming out of college because there's more and more of them seemingly in the college ranks. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's hard to say, you know, yeah, you don't want to make sort of some sort of blanket statement, right? I mean, I, like if we'd sat here in the preseason and talked about this and talked about, you know, think about quarterback class from last year, and this was sort of a disappointing quarterback class so far this year. We haven't we haven't seen much other than Kenny Pickett and, you know, sort of up and down. But if we looked about last year's rookie quarterback class, right, I mean, you know, certainly jury is still out as in terms of NFL perspective, Trey Lance, uh, Justin Fields, um, you know, uh, Zach Wilson, right? Yeah. You know, jury is still out on those guys. And I think we would have said, at least coming into the preseason, that the most successful rookie quarterback from last year was Mac Jones, who is a pure pocket passer, right? I mean, like, and so... Obviously, now we'll see what's going on in New England because uh, Bailey Zappi <laughs> came in on one night and yeah. gave him a spark. And Bill is being his typical Bill about, like, we'll see what happens. My expectation here is that they stick with Mac Jones with a much shorter leash. But, yeah, I look, so does the pocket passer still have a role in today's NFL? Of course. But I think the bar for success is much higher. Like, I mean, like, you can't just, you know, I mean, look, we, I think a perfect example is what happened two days ago. The Indianapolis Colts are moving off of Matt Ryan, a classic pocket passer and a veteran, a guy that's played in Super Bowls, who's you know been an All Pro, uh, and they're going with Sam Ellinger, who's more of a mobile quarterback. You know, a guy that had over a thousand rushing yards in his last two seasons combined at Texas and had, I believe, fifteen rushing touchdowns over his last two years at the University of Texas. Like he's a mobile guy in the yeah. in the you know in the, in the Josh Allen mode um in terms of you know mobile quarterback like does he have the speed of lamar jackson or a kyle murray he does not but you know he's he's a mobile guy and um uh and so you know i think they i think part of the reason they're doing that is because they need a spark but think about this right think i mean i think this is a great example this particular situation they're you know they're i believe three three and one the colts are i mean they're you know like in a weak division I mean, you know, it's, it's it's the Jags, it's the Titans, it's it's the Texans. Like that's a winnable division for the Colts at the at this stage. There's three, three and one, and on that roster is Nick Foles, who won a Super Bowl with Frank Reich, and yet they're making this switch to go to Sam Ellinger. And and Frank Reich was very clear: I'm making this move. This has nothing to do with Matt Ryan's injury. We would have made this move regardless. And I think the reason for that is is a couple reasons. Number one is I think they see something in practice in Ellinger that they feel like hey, this guy gives us the best chance to win. We're not suddenly rebuilding. The other point here is, is that their offensive line has been brutal. And so I think, as again, as we talk about defenses improving and offensive line play being inconsistent, a guy like Ellinger gives the Colts a better chance at moving the chains uh, because he can extend plays, he can do those off-schedule things that, honestly, Matt Ryan at this stage in his career wasn't able to do. Have we seen as wide a range of quarterback skill sets in the NFL as we're seeing now? I mean, you got guys all the way from Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen to Tom Brady, you know, Matt Ryan, Matthew Stafford, you know, guys who absolutely don't run or don't want to run, uh, all the way to guys who have packages for called quarterback runs in the offense every week. Have we ever seen a spectrum so wide in quarterback skill sets? No, I don't think so. And th that's why I'd say it's so, it's so hard to say, like, sort of one size fits all. And, like, you know, um, I'm a big believer in, um, you know, scheme fit, right? And so, you know, listen, 
I, I think a great example here is New York. Think about Daniel Jones before Brian Dayball got there, and think about Daniel Jones this year. I mean, you know, Daniel Jones, like, has Daniel Jones been great this year? No, but has Daniel Jones been the head of a functional offense? Absolutely. I mean, you know, and, and, the, and the Giants are sitting here, like, whatever, they're six and one? I mean, you know, the, the Giants with really only Saquon Barkley on offense, they don't, I mean, like, the, the guys that are running out there at wide receiver, and we'll see, there's, there's some sparks with Wondell Robinson, but, like, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a bunch of, you know, literally Jags, right? Just a guy uh, out there at wide receiver at pass catcher for the Giants. And yet, because um, Dayball has come in and said, like, okay, what do I got? Well, Daniel Jones is pretty mobile, so I'm going to get him on the move. I'm going to move him outside the pocket. I'm going to use a lot more designed runs than he's had previously in his career. We're going we're gonna to make uh, Saquon Barkley the focal point of this offense. And so, yeah, think about the resurgence of Geno Smith in Seattle this year. Yeah. You know, same, same sort of thing. And so I think it's, it's incumbent upon coaches to, um, to see, okay, what do we have? And use those quarterbacks the best of their ability. I think that not every coach does that. Some coaches are just like, here's my system and you're going to run my system. And I think the really smart coaches are like, okay, what does my quarterback do well? What does my quarterback do poorly? And I'm going to design a game plan that highlights what he does well and try to hide what he does poorly. And, and, you know, and I think to your point about packages, like I think they've done a really good job of that in New Orleans where they've, where, you know, Jameis Winston is, and Andy Dalton, neither of those guys are super mobile. But when they we need a mobile, uh, a mobile quarterback, they bring in Taysom Hill. Yeah. And they do some wildcat packages with him. It's pretty wild. Matthew, one of the main reasons we got you on here was because you're going to be in town for this game on Sunday night. You're going to be there early, though. You're going to find that there is going to be a large population of Bill's tailgaters. Heck, they'll beat you out. They'll beat you out here. They'll be here on Friday in the camper lot. Forget right. about Saturday and Sunday. But you're going to be at Highmark Stadium 11-1 to 1, streaming your fantasy football pregame show live. Tell us what fans that will be in attendance can expect uh, on set. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun. So it is our fantasy football and sports betting pregame show that we, hear, that we do every Sunday morning, 11 a.m. to 1 o'clock Eastern. As you mentioned, it will be streamed on Peacock. It's also available on CNBC the final hour. So national broadcasting audience and – we're going to get you set for the day, who to start, who to set, who to bet, um, where you can earn some money and really break down all the games from a, you know, from an X's and O's standpoint and an analytical standpoint. We're going to have some special guests as well. I think if you're a, if you're a longtime Bills fan, uh, you'll see some familiar faces there as, uh, as well. So we're going to have some special guests uh, to pop by as well. We'll have a lot of fun. And this is a true story, guys. I can't, you know, I was talking with my producers and they said, all right, we want to do a live broadcast. And this is sort of the window in which of the season. And we want to do it uh, at a game in which football night in America and the Sunday night football, the NBC Sunday night football game is going to be. And so we looked at the schedule and they said, you know, well, here in, in week seven, Pittsburgh's at Miami. I'm like, oh, you know, that, that'd be pretty fun. A, a weekend in Miami. Um, you know, that's that'd be a good time. Right. And they said, or we could do week eight, which is Green Bay at Buffalo. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Forget Miami. We're going to Buffalo. <laughs> I want to see – I've never gotten to see Bill's Mafia live. I've never gotten to see experience that. So I can't wait to see um, what the legendary tailgate experience is um, there in Buffalo. So I just want everyone to know I passed up a weekend in Miami 
to come to Buffalo. So I hope that everyone shows up. Uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun. I want them to be a part of the crowd. Yeah, that uh, should be good. And it looks like it looks like you're going to be rewarded for it because we're looking at like 63 degrees, which you know for late October you're in pretty good yeah. shape. And no precip in the forecast either. So your 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 interest in Bills Mafia was rewarded with the weather. So it looks like you're going to have a nice day to be out there broadcasting live, 11-1 to 1 at Highmark Stadium, be out there with your co-host, Michael Smith. Uh, I know Bills fans will be stoked for it. Just You're fortunate that it's early in the day because by 4 or 5 p.m., the Bills Mafia is going to be getting loose. So at least they'll be God coherent bless. for your show. So that'll be good. <laughs> Thanks, Matthew. Well, we appreciate it. We appreciate it as well. Can't wait. Really excited. It'll be a great game and a great morning. Hope everyone comes on out. All right. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Hey, want to win a million dollars? Well, you can with FanDuel's free pick'em style game, High Low. Pick teams for four different stat categories that you think will score the highest or lowest for the week. The more you get right, the more you can win. Get them all correct, and you could take home a million dollars. Go to FanDuel.com slash High Low to play. And I've got high-low for points this week, Steve. So high for points. I'm going to take the Vikings. They haven't really beaten anyone impressive this season, and that's not going to change facing the Cardinals this week. But at home, I do think this game could be a shootout, so I'm taking Minnesota. Low for points. I like the Texans. I believe Davis Mills is a capable quarterback, but Tennessee just grinds out wins. They slow the game down with Derrick Henry, so I don't see Houston getting a lot of possessions. I don't see him racking up a lot of points. So Texans, the low for points for me. For me, high for passing yards. I'm going to go fly, Eagles fly, Philadelphia Ooh. in the Battle of Pennsylvania. They're going against the Steelers. Steelers have had trouble slowing teams down. They're the 29th-ranked pass defense, and the Eagles uh, are on a roll. So, And then the low, that's high for e- passing yards is the Philadelphia Eagles. Low for passing yards, the sh- your Chicago Bears. Mm. The, they often showed, now they showed some life in New England. But it's going to come down. I mean, the Cowboys' pass rush is going to chase fields everywhere. He may run for a ton of yards, but he's not going to throw for a touch, ton of yards. Mm. Uh, so I think the Chicago Bears low for passing yards. All right, high for rushing yards. I've got the Colts against Washington. Jonathan Taylor is going to be the focal point of the offense as Sam Ellinger makes his first start. The Commanders are a disappointment, but this is more about what the indie game plan is going to be. And they're going to leave lean heavily on Taylor. So Colts high for rush yards. Low for rush yards. I'm taking the Lions. 31st in the league in rushing and facing a top 10 run defense in the Dolphins. I don't see Detroit doing much on the ground here in this one. So Detroit low for rushing yards. High for sacks. I'm taking the San Francisco 49ers. Eric Armstead might not be back, but I'm I'm not sure it's going to matter. The Rams offensive line is a mess. It's been riddled with injuries. I don't see him holding up well against the Niners pass in pass protection. Uh, the Niners are going to go high for sacks. For low sacks, unbelievable. I'm taking the Pittsburgh mm. Steelers. They have struggled without T.J. Watt. They're playing one of the more mobile quarterbacks in the league in Jalen Hurts. Uh, Philly's going to want to win this game badly. I can't see them getting home much. Pittsburgh Steelers low for sacks. That is not one you get. No, and you know what? I looked it up before the Bills played the Steelers in Week 5. The Steelers have led the league in sacks since T.J. Watt entered the league. 2017, 18, 19, 20, 21. Like it's, yeah. it's like five years in a row. Right. This might be the first year they don't do it since 2017. It's amazing. Uh, closing figures for the week. And the Packers, Steve, are the only team to shut out Josh Allen as a starting quarterback in his career. Happened in his rookie season. 
Packers beat them 22 to nothing. I would bet he has not forgotten that. Just a thought. And Stephon Diggs, in just his third season with the Bills, has already set the team record for games with 10 or more receptions. He now has seven such games. Previous record was six, set by your former teammate and Hall of Famer, Andre Reid. That'll do it for this edition. Please be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use so you know when our next episode drops. And remember, when you need to know about the Bills, you need to check Bills by the Numbers. For Steve Tasker, I'm Chris Brown. We'll catch you next week, everybody!